following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 6, and uh, this morning we're going to be, uh, we'll begin by reading uh, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This passage, of course, confronts our tendency to worry. And, uh, and I, I think I mentioned this last week, I'll say it again, that there is no passage of Scripture that I use more when I'm counseling myself or when I'm counseling other people than this one. And, uh, and I include myself in that because I am naturally a pessimist and I'm naturally a worrier. And uh, so... You know, I, I've joked before that, that during the first few years of my married life, I planned Heidi's funeral on more than one occasion. You know, so, so she hasn't answered her phone two or three times, and, and I just assume the worst. She's dead somewhere, and, you know, I'm already way down the road, you know, with, with the, the worst possible outcome. And so uh, I, I tend to be a worrier. Uh, you know, I don't assume the worst. The best, I naturally assume the worst. And... Um, and so, but I am thankful that, that by God's grace, uh, I, I feel like I've made a lot of progress in overcoming worry, and, uh, and I'm really grateful for how the Lord has, over the years, grown my capacity to trust Him through the pressures and, and the uncertainties of life. And, and this text is one of the means uh, that God has, has really used to, to grow me and, and to help me in this area. But because this passage... It confronts my struggles so well. I mean, Jesus, Jesus asks some powerful questions in this passage, doesn't he? I had a teacher in college that would say that questions convict the conscience, accusations harden the will. And Jesus asks some really convicting questions in this passage. And as well, he also gives us the answer. He doesn't just tell us what's wrong with us. He gives the perfect prescriptions for our struggles with worry. So I am very grateful for this passage and very grateful 
for how the Lord has used it in my life. And, and as well, I've done enough counseling to know that, that I'm not the only one that struggles with worry. That when we face uncertainty, when we don't know what the future holds, that it's easy to be consumed with the cares of this life. So, so this text provides incredibly valuable perspective for, for, for not just the worry warts like me, but I think for all of us who, who in various ways and at various times struggle with anxiety. And today, uh, we're going to just look at verses 25-30, through 30, Lord willing. Uh, next Sunday, we'll look at verses 31-34. through 34. And we're going to begin today by reflecting on the command He gives not to worry, and, and then we're going to look at three problems with worry that Jesus identifies and three solutions that He also gives. So, so let's begin with the command He gives there in verse 25. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. And it's worth mentioning as well that, that he repeats the word for worry six times in this passage. So he mentions it here in verse 25 where he forbids worry. Verse 27, he tells us not to be worried. Verse 28, he mentioned, asks us why we worry. Verse 31, he mentions worry. And then twice in verse 34, he repeats the Greek term for worry. But but notice here, I think this is important for understanding this passage, that that Jesus is concerned for a very specific type of worry. So he begins the verse, he begins verse 25, by saying, for this reason. So so we need to ask, well, well, what is the reason that Jesus has for why he tells us not to worry about our life? And the answer is in the the previous statement in, in verse 24. So again, remember last week in verse 24 that it ends by saying, you cannot serve God and wealth. So so we saw last Sunday that that you cannot be a servant of the treasures of this world and also be a devoted servant of Christ. So so you can't give your heart to to Christ and also to the things of this world, what, what we call materialism. And so based on that reality, that you cannot serve two masters, wealth and God, He commands us here not to be worried about your life. And, uh, and meaning there, material concerns, such as the ones He mentions. Food, drink, and clothing. So, so you cannot be wholly devoted to the Lord while also being worried and obsessed about the things of this world. Now, now that is an important clarification then because Jesus here is specifically confronting a type of worry that springs from a, 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 a worship of the things of this world. So instead, as, as verse 33 says, instead of us seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He instead is confronting us here when, when we seek first the things of this life and obsess with the things of this life. And that is an important clarification because Jesus is not saying in this passage that Christians never should be carrying burdens or that there aren't legitimate cares that weigh on us. So we know that because Jesus in in the Gospels many times felt the pressures of this life. He didn't walk around just skipping through through the hills singing all the time. 
You see Jesus in particular at the Garden of Gethsemane. He was weighed down with a heavy burden on his soul as he looked ahead to his arrest and his crucifixion in the hours ahead. And the Apostle Paul also confesses that the care of the churches weighed heavily on his heart. So, so, so it's important we understand that Jesus here is not saying that it is sinful to endure the legitimate burdens of life in a sin-cursed world. No, no, instead, he is condemning a very specific type of worry that is rooted in materialism. It is rooted in worshiping the, the things of this world and, having, and being consumed with this life instead of being consumed with the life that is to come. Now, now, I'll mention that there are other types of worry, that, that sinful types of worry, that come up. And, and, and what Jesus has to say here would, would extend to things beyond just worrying about food and water and, and clothing. But we do need to recognize what his main concern is. So, so Jesus begins here by saying, do not be worried about your life. And then he follows in verses 25 through 30 by confronting three wrong philosophical assumptions that, that, that drive our worry. And so the first uh, philosophical assumption that drives our worry in verse 25 is that worry springs from wrong priorities. Worry springs from wrong priorities. And, and what I'd like to do with, with all three of these problems with worry is, is give you a contrast between how a worrier looks at the world and how a, a godly disciple looks at the world. So, so first of all, notice that a worrier believes that life consists of things. And so verse 25 mentions three things that, that people worry about. He says we worry about what we will eat, what we will drink, and we worry about the clothing that we are going to put on our body. Now, now it's true that, that, that we don't, as, as Americans, probably feel the same pressing need for these things that probably many in Jesus' audience would have felt. Now, now yes, it's true that, that food and water and to some extent clothing, the prices are, are going up quickly, all right? And, um, and so it might be that, that you feel more and more of a strain on your budget. Like, you look at that water bill and it's like, wow, that thing has really gone up. And, and food prices have really gone up. So, so you might feel a strain on your budget from those things. But the reality is, is that none of us are starving. I mean, we might say we're starving, but we're not. We always have something in the, in the cabinet, and, and the reality is, is that we always can turn on a knob and have more than enough water for us to drink. And, and as well, you might say at times, I have nothing to wear. But I guarantee that that's not true. Even if it's dirty, you have something to wear. But that wasn't true for people in Jesus' day necessarily. And the Lord's Prayer mentions daily bread because that was the reality of how a lot of people lived. That you would work today to get money to buy food for the next day. And so if you don't have your daily bread, well then you've got a problem. Or if you depended on a nearby stream to provide your water, what do you do if there's a drought and the stream dries up? All of a sudden you don't have drinking water. And most people only had one change of clothing. If you were really fortunate, you might have two. And in fact, if a relative died, it was a big deal 
to, to hand down clothing from one generation to the next. Now that is totally foreign to us, isn't it? I mean, we, we buy clothes and we give clothes away and throw them in the trash like it's nothing. So, so for us, this, this is hard to, I mean, we have a hard time comprehending this, but, but, but verse 25 here, it, folks, is, is not listing once. You know, imagine Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount to, to a lot of poorer people. These are real needs, right? I mean, you, you can't live without food or, or water. And, and as well, I mean, just imagine, I mean, just imagine the panic you would feel if you literally had no food and no means to buy food. Or imagine you're heading into the winter months and you've got a small child and you don't have the means to provide your child with, with clothing to keep him or her warm through the winter. I mean, that would be a scary, scary proposition. And yet Jesus, I mean, so, so these are not small things. I mean, for us, they're small things because we have so much of it. But, but these are big things, pressing needs for Jesus' audience. And yet, what does Jesus ask at the end of verse 25? He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, what is he saying there? He, he is saying He is confronting the worrier for believing that life consists of things. Life is about food and clothing. And as verse 24 says, he is serving wealth, all right, even at the level of meeting basic needs instead of serving God. To put it another way, that the worrier is worried about laying up earthly treasures instead of laying up heavenly ones. Now, now that should be really convicting for most of us because it hits close to home. So so take a moment and think about the worries that press on you. I mean, the weights that are on your shoulders. Maybe you're anxious about work. You're anxious about finances. You're anxious about politics. You're anxious about health. Or you've got a busy to-do list. But, but the real problem is not your circumstances. And the answer to your worry is not a change of circumstances. The problem is, is that you have allowed yourself to believe that life consists of things. That life is about what we experience today. Things that Jesus says are of no eternal significance. Now, now you might know the right answer to this. But functionally, when Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Your answer says, no, that's what it's about. And that's evident in the way you worry and in the way I worry. And and so what's the solution? Well, the solution is, is that a disciple believes that life is for eternity. And we'll spend more time on this next week, but but verse 33 really is the, the solution to verse 25. Where Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So so the only way that I can have a right perspective on the things of this world is if my heart is fully devoted to God and I am pursuing his kingdom purposes and his righteousness first and foremost. My heart has has to be fixed on those things. And you know, when I am living for eternity, 
When my zeal is for the things of heaven, there is so much rest in this life. I mean, just imagine what would happen to most of our worry if we really believed with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. You know, we can worry so much about this life. And Paul says, you know, we belong to God. Life and death are in his hands. It doesn't matter. We belong to him. And so there's so much rest, so much comfort in that reality. So so I want to urge you to take a moment and think about the biggest stressors in your life. And then ask yourself, how much does that stressor really matter in the grand scheme of an eternal God and life with Him forever in heaven? And I about guarantee that, that whatever it is, that it doesn't stack up. And I'd about guarantee that, that it's not nearly as important as you like to think that it is. Like we, we get so consumed with certain things that when you've been in heaven for a thousand years are going to seem like nothing. And so keep your focus on the Lord. Keep an eternal, an eternal mindset. So, so the first problem, the first reason for worry is that we have wrong priorities. We are focused on this life instead of the next. And then the second philosophical assumption behind our worry is that we have a wrong view of self. A wrong view of self. Notice what Jesus says, this second or another big question in verse 27. He says in verse 27, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Now, I do need to mention that there is a little bit of confusion, some questions about how to translate this verse. So, so the New King James uh, translates the verse, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So, so the debate among translators is whether uh, Jesus is talking about, uh, are you worrying about how tall you are or worrying about how long you live? And, um, and the basic point of the verse is the same, uh, regardless of, of how you understand that. Uh, but most people believe that the NASB here is correct. That, and that's because very few people in the world got anxious about getting taller. All right? Now, I worried about getting taller when I was a kid because I wanted to play college basketball. You know? so, so I really wanted to be like 6'8 or something so that I could play college basketball at a high level. But, but in the ancient world, most people weren't worried about how long their arms were, how much they weighed, how tall they were, you know, athletic measurables. So, but they did worry, and, and people have always worried, about how long they're going to live. I mean, health and longevity are major sources of worry for lots of people. And so Jesus asks, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? So, so what is the issue here? Well, this statement confronts the fact that a worrier has a high view of self. So in other words, one of the biggest sources of worry is that we try and carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. That it's up to me to make my life last longer. So so we think it's up to me to fix all my problems. Or, Or we think that the world revolves around my ability 
to fix everything that is wrong. So for example, one of the reasons maybe you stress about money is that you think it is up to you to fix all that is wrong with your finances. You know, if there's some sort of family strife going on, you think it's up to you to fix that family strife. If you're stressed about politics, you probably believe that, that it is up to me and up to us to fix this. We have to do this. But, but Jesus says, how arrogant of you to think that these things are in your hands. And do you really think that you can increase the length of your life by worry? And we get so wrapped up in our schemes. And we begin to believe that, that we even have the power to extend our life. So we worry and we fret because we think it's up to us. Now, of course, the irony of this question here in verse 27 is that worry is known to harm your health. So if you worry about how long you're going to live, you're not going to make your life last longer. You might make it end sooner rather than go longer. And yet we do it all the time, don't we? Now, I, mean, I, I struggle with this as a pastor. You know, that, that it's easy for me to begin to believe that, that everything that good that, that happens at the church is because of me, and everything that bad, bad that happens is all because of me. And, and so everything rises and falls with, with me being the best me possible. And you know, it's an exhausting burden to carry. But because, and, and frankly, it is arrogant and, and foolish. But the world does not revolve around me. And it doesn't revolve around you either. So, so we need to be realistic about our limitations. We, we need to break ourselves of this high view of self, and instead, a disciple must have a high view of God. Now, now Jesus doesn't say this explicitly here in verse 27, but he certainly implies it. That, that I need to stop trusting in my abilities and instead trust the Lord to do what only He can do. Now, I recognize that that's easier said than done. And, and, and part of what makes this difficult is that, is that God does expect us to work towards solutions of all these various things that I've mentioned. So, so you should take care of your body. You know, not just eat Cheetos all day and say, well, if God wants me to live a long time, He will. You know, or, or you should uh, work towards a responsible budget. You should work towards reaching that goal at work that, that, that tends to stress you out. And, 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 so, and so we do have legitimate things that we need to do. You should work towards fixing that family issue, or you should work towards reaching people with the gospel. And, and I want to be clear that there is legitimate pressure that comes with those responsibilities. I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29 Paul says, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So, so did Paul just you know, walk around singing Kumbaya all day? No. He carried heavy burdens. So, so we can't escape those pressures that come with the things that God has called us to do, and we shouldn't. But Jesus is saying that we also have to be cognizant of where my strength ends and where I must rely on the Lord. 
And, and, and so when I work hard, I need to work hard, and then I need to leave with God the things that are in God's hands. And I can do so believing that He is good, that He is wise, and He is absolutely sovereign. And so when I face these things, I can absolutely trust in God to be God. So so Christian, don't try to carry pressures that you cannot possibly bear. Your life is not ultimately in your hands. It's in God's. And all those other things that, that tend to stress you out, they're ultimately in God's hands, not yours. So, so, so be honest about your limitations. Work hard to do the things that God has called you to do, but then recognize He's God and I'm not. So, so we have a wrong view of self. And then the third philosophical assumption that drives us to worry is a wrong view of God. And Jesus makes this point in verses 26 and then in verses 28 through 30. And these verses are deeply convicting, but also very comforting. So, so notice first that a worrier doubts the goodness of God. And Jesus makes this point with two illustrations uh, that are built on two basic needs. So, so first of all, verse 26 confronts how we worry about something like food by, by contrasting our worry with the birds. So again, verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Now, now birds here are, are a great illustration because... Because birds, particularly little birds, are not lazy, right? Have you ever you know, just sat and watched you know, a sparrow or these little birds? And I mean, their, their wings are going a billion miles an hour, and they're all over the place, and they're cracking nuts and doing this and that and chasing this thing and that thing. I mean, birds are very busy creatures. But, but Jesus notes that they don't stress in the process, though. He says they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. They're not worried about the future. No, instead, they trust in the natural abilities that God has given them. And they trust in the food supply that God has put in nature. And by the way, God has done a marvelous job of providing for the birds. I I enjoy watching wildlife documentaries and so forth. and, And it's amazing to see how God has designed birds that live all over the world in various climates and various habitats, and given them unique abilities to live and to thrive in in all sorts of circumstances. I mean, an ostrich is a very different creature than a robin. They live in different worlds and and survive in different ways, but God provides for both of them. And based on this fact, Jesus asks, are you not worth much more than they? What a question. God loves His children infinitely more than He does a bird. He died for your sins. He didn't die for a bird. So so why would we worry that God will not meet our needs? And the implication is, is that when I worry that God will not meet my needs, I am doubting God's love for me. 
and I am doubting the goodness of God. Because God has said that he will be faithful to do these things. And just, I mean, just to think about the absurdity of this, you know, many of us are parents. And what would you think if one of your kids came to you this afternoon you know, and said, or, or if your kids are older when you were, you know, when they were in your home and said, you know, Dad, I am really concerned that you are going to let me starve. I, 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 think, I, think you might, I think you might let me die, Dad. I'm really worried about this. And you'd look at your kid and be like, why would you think that? I, mean, I would never let you starve to death. I would die before I would let you starve. And God here, Jesus is looking at us and says that God has the same befuddled response when, when we worry before God. I mean, Jesus says to us, why would we doubt the goodness of God when He has done so much for us? I mean, are you not worth much more than they? Jesus asks. And then He reinforces this point in verses 28 through 30. He says, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now now this verse, this time he mentions lilies and he mentions grass. And, um, And he's probably thinking here, uh, of something like the desert blooms that, that we will sometimes get, uh, assuming we get rain in the wintertime in the spring. And so uh, that's kind of the context here that, that we can relate to quite well, uh, living here in the desert. And, um, and so he mentions here, first of all, how, how the lilies or, or the wildflowers grow up and, and how they bloom. And he notes that they don't toil like men out in the field who are working to to, to produce crops, and they don't spin like, like a woman who's, who's in her house and feverishly working to, to make yarn. No, no, the flowers, they just stay put. They just blow in the breeze, and God allows them to grow and makes them beautiful. And verse 29 notes that, that God's work here is incredible in the sense he says there in verse 21, and yet I say to you, Not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now, now for a Jew, that is a significant statement because Solomon was known for his elaborate robes and and his dress and all the the other glories of, of his life. But Jesus says that even Solomon in all the glory of his wardrobe, it could not compare the beauty with which God clothes a valley of wildflowers. It doesn't compare. And, and, and you know, that sort of beauty and many others in creation powerfully declare that God is good and, and He is kind. You know, God didn't just make our world functional. You know, I, I mean, imagine, I mean, you know, if I were to build a house on my own, it would be square, it would be sturdy, and it would be practical. And it would be incredibly boring. But you know, God hasn't made the world that way, has He? He didn't just make the world functional. He made it beautiful and diverse. And He's telling us here that He cares well for every detail of that universe. 
And verse 30 notes that he does so even for something as insignificant as the grass. It says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Now, the context here would, would be you know, that, that you know, think of a Jewish lady that she's about to cook some bread in her oven, and so she'd go out in the field and pick up some grass and, and bring it inside to use as kindling. You know, kind of like, um, you know, I do it with pine needles right here. And, um, you know, and so you just go up, you gather stuff, it's worthless, you throw it in there, you're not worried at all about burning it, and you light a match and poof, it's gone almost as quickly as you light it. It is worthless and it's gone fast. And yet, while the grass is, is pretty worthless in the grand scheme of things, Jesus notes that God marvelously clothes it with wildflowers. And so if God cares this way for something as worthless as grass, will he not much more clothe you? I mean, why would we doubt God? And then he adds, you of little faith. Ouch, right? Like that is a convicting statement. Jesus says that when I worry about material things that God has promised to provide, I have failed to believe that God is good, that He is kind, and He is faithful. I have doubted the goodness of God. So what's the solution? Well, I think the solution is pretty simple. A disciple rests in the goodness of God. Now, I recognize that that is easier said than done. Because... Because God's purpose for us, I mean, the the point here is not, you know, that if you trust God, you're going to live in a big, beautiful house and have fancy clothes and lots of food and plenty of water. I mean, Jesus is not promising any of that, is He? You know, and the reality is, is that oftentimes God's purpose for us is not that we enjoy bounty and ease. Oftentimes His purpose for us is very hard. And, And so, the reason we worry is because we don't want God's purpose. You know, but Jesus, I mean, we want, we want ease. And, and, and God's purpose oftentimes is very different than that. He wants to sanctify us. And He wants to change us. So, so we stress over all these things because we want a life that's comfortable. But of course, Jesus already answered that issue in verse 25, right? Where he said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We worry because we demand a comfortable life and we want it now and we want it the rest of life. And you know what God is saying to us in verse 25 and again down in verse 30 is that God oftentimes has a much higher purpose and better purpose than a comfortable life today filled with earthly treasures. He is shaping me into the image of Christ. And if I am like Christ, that's worth a whole lot more than a life that is comfortable and easy. Much, much more valuable. And He's using us to impact other people for eternity. And He is preparing you through sanctification and through good deeds for a life of of eternal glory with Him. Now, the reality is, is I can't fully comprehend all those things like I can a new car. You know, like if, I, if someone hand, you know, gave me a new car, I could look at that, I could, I could feel it, I could experience it today, and I can't, I can't experience heaven right now in the same sense. So, so, so my heart tends to move towards the car 
instead of, of whatever it is that God has for me in heaven. So, so God tells, but I have to trust that what God, when God says it is worth it, He is true, and so it is up to me to walk by faith and to believe that God knows exactly what He is doing. And His every purpose is good. And therefore, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 commands me to cast all my anxiety on Him. Hand it to God, which in and of itself is an act of faith and, and humility. He says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So humbly give it to Him and trust that He will do what is good. So, so the challenge today is quite simple. Replace worry with faith. Faith that God's priorities are better than mine. And I think really, that, I mean, that question at the end of verse 25 is so vital to all of this. That, that we've got to get a better perspective on the things that we worry about. Faith that God's priorities are better than mine. Secondly, faith that in His strength, uh, that His strength can do what I cannot do. And faith that God's purpose is always good. And it's a wonderful blessing to serve a loving Heavenly Father. A wonderful blessing. And so if there's anyone here today that, that has never come to know uh, salvation in Him, you, you don't know God as, as this loving Heavenly Father. You know, then, then Jesus invites you in Matthew 11, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is, e- or my burden is easy and light. I don't remember the, the exact quote. So, so, so come to Him. Rest in Him. Because he is good. And if you are a believer, learn to trust him more and more every day. To trust what he says and to trust his goodness. That he will always be faithful. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. And thank you ultimately for the God who stands behind it. That, Lord, these are not just um, words of wisdom words of perspective, some psychological tool to help us endure life. Father, we thank You that behind these words stands a sovereign, good, and wise God who is absolutely worthy of our trust and in whom we can cast every care with absolute confidence that You care for us. And so, Lord, I'm sure that there are people in this room right now who are carrying tremendous burdens. They're weighed down by all sorts of things, and it's affecting them in, in, in very difficult ways. And Father, I pray that your spirit would press home the truths of these passage, of this passage, that you would create faith and trust and rest. Lord, I pray for others that. They're just consumed with the things of this life. Oh, Father, I pray that you take our eyes off this world and, and that we would be zealous to lay up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And I pray for any that do not know Jesus as Savior, that, Lord, today they would be convicted of their sin and they would receive Christ as Savior. And so, Lord, we, we pray for your work and, Lord, we pray at your Spirit every day would help us to live in the truths of this passage and to be transformed by them.
And so thank you for this word. And thank you for Jesus. And thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.